There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. You guys can be turning in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. As you guys are turning there, uh, for those who uh, have been falling into the youth teaching, we're just picking up right where we have been with the youth. Uh, so for those who haven't been, uh, which would probably be most of you guys, is uh, you can actually, if you want to find out the context of right where we are, uh, you can go back and listen to any of the youth teachings for the full context. Um, but we're going to be in Numbers chapter 22, uh, looking at uh, a character, a very interesting character by the name of Balaam. And if you have your uh, hand there in Numbers 20, chapter or 22, I want you guys to actually look on over to uh, Numbers 24. Numbers chapter 24, verse 4 and 5 is where I'm going to be kind of giving us our lens verse, if you would say, for today. The, the verse by which we'll, we'll look through it. So Numbers chapter 24 Verses 5 through 7 says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for the, your word. We thank you for the time in your word this morning. And God, as always, as we gather in this place right now, God, would our hearts and minds be open to receive from you. God, that we would experience you through your word, by your spirit, and ultimately become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys may have a seat. Now again, uh, for the full kind of uh, look of where we've been going through uh, with the youth, um, it, it would give you a little bit, I'll give a little bit of review. Just prior to Numbers chapter 22 in uh, Numbers chapter 21, you have a defeat of three kings. You have uh, the king of Arad, Sihon, and Og of Bashan. And these are Amorite giant kings that God has uh, used the nation of Israel to utterly destroy. And you find out before this is, is that God has been marching the people again through the wilderness after they were rejected to take the, the king's highway. And you can almost find yourself, okay, well, this difficulty, God, why after all this time would they still have more of these fights and, and to go through? And as you go through Numbers chapter 21, what you really see is that God is taking them on a geographical history lesson. And as he takes them through the land of Edom and Esau, he is declaring to the nation of Israel, remember the giants here and how I used Esau to wipe them out. And as they move up into Moab, then he would say, remember how the children of Lot, I protected them and I used them to wipe the giants out. And as they move even further north into the area of Bashan, and Og would, would come to attack them and then God would have them utterly destroyed. All before that is if God was declaring to the nation of Israel, remember what I did for Esau? Remember what I did for Lot? 
know that I am going before you and that he is in the history and business of wiping out giants. And that God will provide the victory in your life that others will see and praise him. This is best seen in, in when you get to the promised land and you hear about this, this Canaanite prostitute woman, Rahab. And as the two witnesses come into Jericho and she says, I heard about what happened in Egypt. I know what happened to Sihon and Og. There is a God. He is your God and he is the true God. And so as we ask ourselves sometimes, as we go through these moments, God, why, why am I going through these fights? Why am I facing these giants? It's to know that God says, I am in the history of utterly destroying giants before you so that others would know my name and know my glory. And with that, that gives us the context as we move into Numbers chapter 22. Again, to look at this very interesting character by the name of Balaam. It says, And the children of Israel moved and the camp and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, previous to this, and in, in even just before chapter 21 in Numbers, what we find out is that the nation of Israel has uh, come to Kadesh Barnea, and they reach out to their family. Edom, this is, the, this is Esau's family. And they say, hey, we're going to take the king's highway, and we, we want to come through your land, and we're going to go through. And you know what? We're not going to go off the path. We're not going to go to the left and right. We're going to stick to the highway. In fact, we want to be a blessing to you. If we need any food, we'll buy it. If we need any water, we'll buy it. And Edom's response to that was, don't take one step closer. Moses thinking that, well, you know, we all have bad days in family. It'll be great. He asked his cousin again, really, we want to be a blessing to you. We don't want to be a burden. And Edom's response to that is so severe. They say, if you take one step forward, we will fight you. In fact, we're sending an army. And they send an army out to tell their family, don't even come this way. And so we have Esau, this land of Edom, that was previously afraid. And so you have to ask yourself, wait a second, didn't you tell me that they went through the land of Edom? And you go, well, well, what changed there? What fear? It says that there was a fear that gripped Edom. And it was when that king of Arad, this giant king, came to attack them. And God uses Israel to utterly destroy that giant king. That now there's a fear in Edom that says, wait a second. If we think we're going to fight them, we're on the wrong side of this. Their God is fighting for them. And so Edom allows them to pass through. And we see that even... Now Moab has heard about the defeat of Sihon and Og, and they've got a fear. But instead of having this fear of, of openness, is that this king of Moab, Balak, is responding incorrectly in that fear. And now he is, he, it's, it's turned his stomach. He has become sick with fear. And it says, so Moab said to the elders of Midian, there in verse 4. Now, again, to, to put these in perspective, again, who we're talking about, these people. Moab, this is the children of Lot. This is Abraham's nephew's kids. Moab, Midian, when we talk about Midian and the Midianites, this is Abraham's line from when he remarried with Keturah. And so you have Keturah's line. In fact, if you remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he was actually a priest of Midian. So that, that is the people who, who are now looking at this situation and it says that they're, they're sick with it. And this is their response to that. As the king of Moab says to the people of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at this time. 
Now again, so they're, they're afraid that this nation of Israel is going to come in and just conquer them. And the sad thing is, is if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, and just before this, you know, Israel's already gone through the land of Moab. They went through peacefully. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is addressing the king of Sihon, when he's addressing Sihon, the king of the Amorites, is he even says to them, hey, in the same way, when we went through the land of Edom, we didn't go to the left or the right. We paid for our way. When we went through the land of Moab, we paid our way. We were actually a, a blessing. So as he's addressing this king that he will end up actually having to fight and utterly destroy because that was God's plan. The truth is that within that context, you see that, wait, Israel has already gone through the land of Moab and was a blessing. They stuck to the highway and whatever they needed, they paid for. And so when we look at even that context, we understand is that I, we don't really know where this is coming from, just an irrational fear as Moab sees the number and now has seen. It's one thing to see the people move through, to understand the context of, again, Og and Sihon, these Amorite kings, and to know that Israel has utterly destroyed them and that Og himself had 60 cities that Israel has now overtaken. And so within this, it's kind of stirring something up in Moab, even though this king of Moab should know that they've already come through the land. They've shown themselves to be peaceful. And to understand that when we're dealing with family, and the fact that we are all family by one blood, that that is not who God was declaring war on as he sent the nation of Israel into that promised land. With that, we look at verse 5. It says, Then he, speaking of Balak, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Peor, at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. Now, again, I said we're going to look at this interesting character, Balaam. We have in our head, maybe again, this is no knock on Sunday school. I say regularly, I love Sunday school. But sometimes we can get some things in our head that get a little, we hear about these prophets of God and we hear prophet of God and we put them in a, in a good guy camp. Balaam is this very interesting character in that he is not an Israelite. No, Balaam is actually uh, from Mesopotamia. He, he's actually from a city when it's talking about where he's from. It's a city right off of the Euphrates. And he's a practicer of, of kind of that Midian witchcraft. Again, the Midianites, they had an idea of who God was from Abraham's line. But we even find out that Jethro himself worshipped many gods. He had an idea of who Yahweh was. But it wasn't until after the Exodus, until after the crossing of the Red Sea, that Jethro shows up and says to Moses, Okay, now I get it. Your God is the God. He is the maker of heavens and earth. He fought for you. He parted the Red Seas. He's the one who has delivered you up. Now, extra-biblical, rabbinical teaching uh, tells us that uh, some feel that after having this experience that Jethro himself, if you remember, Moses wanted him to stay with him, but Jethro says, no, I'm going to go back to my people. His rabbinical teaching uh, says that Jethro actually went back and began to, to share about who Yahweh truly is. And so this, this character, Balaam, He's, he is not a worshiper of one God. He is a Midianite who, who worships many gods. He is not even from this land. He's from Mesopotamia. So this is a Mesopotamian witch doctor who is in the practice. Again, as it says, they brought the diviner's fee. 
something we can pass over. But obviously, this was a customary thing. So he is in the practice of doing something where he takes money to bless and curse people, to use divinations, to, 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 to steep into some spiritual work to try and manipulate the goings of the people around him. And so it's this character that he says in verse 8, and he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these with you? Now I say about how he is this pagan witch doctor from Mesopotamia and go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Did you just say God appeared to this guy? That God showed up to him? Why would God do that if, if he's, wait, is he, is, he, is he in the bad guy camp? And for this moment, we have to, again, let's even just use the context of the Old Testament we have is you think of men like Abimelech with Abraham, where Abraham was pretending that Sarah was his sister and God shows up to this pagan king to say, hey, that's not his sister. Don't, don't touch. And Abimelech says, I, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. God says, I know, and I've kept you from that. We think of Pharaoh of Egypt with Joseph as God gives him these dreams of the, the years of blessings and then the years of famine that God is appearing to these Gentile pagan kings. Who any higher than Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a self-described deity, and God shows up where Daniel interprets dreams that God has given Nebuchadnezzar in chapters two and seven, or two and four. And within all of that context, we see that, that God in his faithfulness to show up and meet people right where they are, there becomes a quick challenge for us when we look at the character of Balaam. Is the danger of familiarity without recognition. Jethro was familiar with Yahweh, but it wasn't until the crossing of the Red Sea that he recognized who he was. Balaam is very familiar with Yahweh, but he does not recognize him as who he is, as the God and creator of this universe. And with this danger, it, it brings us to that danger of familiarity like we see that Jesus had experienced in Matthew chapter 13. Where it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother's, isn't his mother's name Mary and his, his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Is again, it, it speaks to us right away. Is there, there is a consistency within man uh, to, to have this problem where we become familiar with our Lord and Savior without really recognizing who he is. One of the greatest challenges to us comes from the book of James. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the, the demons believe and shudder. There is a huge difference with being familiar and having the knowledge of who Yahweh is, of who God is, of who the Savior is, and recognizing him and trusting him as who he says himself to be. And so as we come on, on this morning, we find ourselves almost quickly challenged with that. Have we ourselves become familiar with the Sunday practice? Have we become familiar with who we speak about and sing songs to without recognizing who is in this very room with us today? Who is this guest of honor that every thought should glorify, every lip should worship, and every heart should praise? There's already for us this warning to ask ourselves, 
have I become like a pagan witch doctor where I am familiar without truly recognizing who God is? Verse 10 continues. It says, so Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. God declaring his people to be blessed. And again, let's, let's put our minds about who he is declaring blessed. Oh, you mean the people who were enslaved for over 100 years in Egypt? You mean who after that then wandered a desert for 40 years? Oh, you mean that then, then after that they had their family stab them in the back and not let them cross over? Oh, you mean then, then after that they had to face not one, not two, but three giant kings? Does those circumstances sound like someone we call blessed? God does. God looks at these people and looks at these circumstances and says, this is a blessed people. Not because of their ability to perform, but because who he has declared them to be by his mighty right hand. One of the teachers who, who teaches our youth, Jonathan, he gave a message that uh, it, it stuck with me. And, he, and he, he said something in one of these messages that um, I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it goes something to this degree. If, if your circumstances cause you to question God's word, you have either misunderstood your circumstances, God's character, or God's word. And it's a challenge for us, again, to, to, to question if, if in my familiarity I have began to look at my life circumstances and say, I am a cursed person. It's to know for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he says, no, you are a blessed people. And it is not based upon your circumstances, but by what he has declared for you, what he has provided for you by his mighty hand. Verse 13, Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Hey, good on that pagan witch doctor. A broken clock is right twice a day, right? So good for him. He says, no, God says I can't go with you. You guys go back. Verse 14, then the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And then Balak sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. So Balak hears this. I sent the diviner's fee. He's not coming. Why isn't he coming? Okay, so he, he ups the ante. I'm going to send now princes and nobles. I'm going to send more money. He, he's, he is beginning to enter in with Balaam a bartering plea. And verse 16 says, and they came to Balaam and said, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor. Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly. I will do whatever you say to me, uh, whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. We're not picking, I know sometimes when you email or text, it's hard to always hear tones. And sometimes when we read, it's going tone. And so uh, the greatest commentary on scripture is scripture itself. And will give us an idea of exactly what's happening right here. It's, it's, it's almost like, forgive me, the, the father in me is about to come out. If you've ever seen the movie Sing, there's this little mouse and there's a moment where the people are, are praising him and he's doing this thing where he goes, oh no, 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 oh, keep it coming. Oh no, no, stop, 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 oh, no, no, keep it coming. It, it's, is you're 
you're having this Middle Eastern bartering going on here where he says, no, I can't. And he ups the ante and, and Balaam says, no, I certainly could not. I mean, you would have to, I don't know, give me your house full of silver and gold. And oh, no, I, no, I, I, I couldn't. I certainly couldn't. But let me ask God. Maybe I'm supposed to have your house full of silver and gold. See, again, we, we understand more of the situation and, and we understand the context. We understand the commentary when we understand what Scripture has to say about who Balaam is and speaks to the way of Balaam and the error of Balaam. Second Peter, Peter tells us in 2 verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So if you're asking me, well, where do you get that context? I get it from Peter. Scripture itself, who's telling me that this is a man who loved the wages of unrighteousness. In Jude 11, it says, Woe to them, speaking of false prophets, same as Second Peter. For they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Scripture makes it very clear to us who this man is. That God says, I don't want you saying anything. I don't want you doing anything that I haven't told you. Now, we're going to know by the time you finish getting through Balaam, not today. That will be for the youth later. But if you know about Balaam, you know that he has a doctrine that he brings the nation of Israel into. Or he conspires with the king of Moab to have the nation of Israel engage in sin that God would have to punish. That this man so badly wanted to do the cursing. He wanted to get paid. He wanted the money, and Scripture is telling us. So here in this, this moment, this is not a, a man who has recognized who God is and saying, I can't do anything outside of the will of God. No, this is a man who is familiar with God and saying, how can I manipulate this so that I can get what I want? Verse 20 says, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to you, come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Now, if this is a moment scripture, go, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. Did, did I just hear God say, go with them, and then he got mad because he went with them? What's, what's the deal here? This seems inconsistent. Well, again, this is one of those moments that what is the most beneficial thing to do is to actually look at the text itself and read what it says. What God said to him was, if the men come to call on you, if the men come to call on you, rise and go with them. I don't know about you, but I, I, I didn't read there in verse 21 where it says, and the men came early in the morning. No, Balaam was up and at him. Oh, fantastic. Sounds like I got the word to go. And he took off with the guys. And so he is already in his familiarity, not recognizing who God to be, has decided this is the thing that I want to do. And though God's word says something different, uh, close enough. Close enough. I, I think I'm just going to go ahead and do what I want to do because, you know, it's, it's kind of like what he said. And that is where we see this anger of the Lord aroused. It also gives us this, this perfect lens for looking at all of Scripture. In this one moment, there's another lens that we're provided for that we can look through Scripture. And it brings up this, this concept for us of God's perfect will and his permissive will. God's perfect will that we're told that says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His perfect will. And yet his permissive will that says, but you have that choice. You have that choice that I lay before you. I have provided the means by which you can know me. 
I have a perfect will, and he has his permissive will. And Balaam is one of these great moments where you see his perfect will declared by his word and his permissive will that is allowing Balaam to go through his own way. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and, t- uh, verse one and 2 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in his anger, continue on in Numbers 22, it says, The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversity against him. Now, this is another character that is going to come up many times in Scripture. The angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, again, if, if you've been going through with us through Genesis, Exodus, and as you've been with Pastor Jeff in the book of Exodus, this should jump out to you and pull you all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Many might be familiar with this. This is the, the burning bush. As God's speaking to Moses from this bush that is on fire but doesn't burn up. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame from the fire, from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he looked and called to him from the midst of the bush. And said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, many of you might be familiar with, but just for the sake of saying it, is when you're reading in scripture and you see the all caps L-O-R-D, that is not there, as some have may thought, to emphasize his lordship. No, that is a, a name of declaration. That is the name Yahweh, Jehovah. So when you see all that, kept, so just right there in the burning bush, as you read through that, something that we can pass over is in one instant from one object, this burning bush, we're told it's the angel of the Lord, then we're told it's Yahweh, and then we're told God Elohim. So wait, who's speaking to us? Who's speaking to Moses? Is it the angel of the Lord? Is it Jehovah? Is it Elohim God? Yes. Yes, it is. See, up until about a century after Jesus' resurrection, in fact, rabbinical teaching, rabbis were teaching There were two powers in heaven. Now, they were obviously incomplete in the thinking, but they noticed as they read through scriptures and they read passages like this, they go, wait a second, we know that there's one God. Our Shema tells us that. But as we read through scripture, there is a plurality here. You go all the way back to Genesis. Let us make man in our image. Who who is talking here? And so as as the rabbis would struggle with this and they'd go through the scriptures and they go, they, they, they taught about these two powers in heaven. Now, not on coincidentally, that teaching seems to become taboo. About, you know, a century after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as that sort of gets wiped away and becomes something that, well, we don't talk about anymore. Because when they read passages like Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when it says, I, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. When you see this, you say, wait wait a second, and this is where that plurality comes. So, 
The Son of Man, who's coming on the clouds, comes before the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man is receiving an everlasting dominion. So do we have God coming before God to receive the kingdom. And they, and they read passages like this, and they go, we've got something here. We know there's one God, but there is clearly this plurality that they struggled with. They struggled so much so that you understand now what Jesus was declaring when he stood before the Sanhedrin before his crucifixion. And the high priest said to him in Matthew 26, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you were the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven when the high priest, then the high priest tore his clothes and he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witness? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. Again, the greatest commentary on scripture is scripture itself. For anyone who would say, well, Jesus never declared, then what is this high priest doing? Tearing his clothes and declaring to be blasphemy. What blasphemy? As he understood that what Jesus stood before them and declared to them, it says, you've read Daniel 7. I am that son of man who is coming on the clouds. I am the I am. And he knew exactly what Jesus was declaring as he stood before them. So again, why declare it be blasphemy? What blasphemy? It would be the same blasphemy that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus for earlier when we read in John chapter 10, verse 33. When Jesus answered them and said, for what good work do you, do you stone me? And they said, for a good work we do not stone you, but blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. Oh, he declared it many times, many times to be the angel of the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh who saves, that in the Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua, and in the Greek, Jesus. That is exactly who he is, and that is who is standing before Balaam, now with sword drawn. This is the angel of the Lord from the bush. It is Jehovah from the bush. It is Elohim from the bush. It is Jesus himself standing before Balaam. And he, speaking of Balaam, as we continue in Numbers 22, was riding on his donkey. And his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So here's Balaam, in disobedience of familiarity without recognition, who wants to get that money. And as he's riding his donkey, donkey turns one way, takes him out into the path, and he just starts whacking it. Starts to turn the other way, and it crushes them against the wood, and he whacks the donkey again. And, and now this donkey just sits down, and here's Balaam, he's just seething, and he's just going to town beating this donkey. As this donkey looks upon the angel of the Lord, it takes my mind to another donkey, another colt, who on Palm Sunday, we were told that a, a colt that had never been rode, that as Jesus sat upon it, it didn't buck, it didn't go crazy, 
There's no Jesus having to whip a donkey. No, that donkey knew exactly who was upon its shoulders. To understand that even the rocks would cry out, that all creation recognizes when it is in the presence of its creator. And again, a challenge to us as this spiritual, practicing, familiar with Yahweh man does not even recognize what this donkey does. That is the son of man. That is the Christ. That is my maker. And I fall before him. Verse 28, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And, Bailey said, and Balaam said to the donkey, another pause moment. We think of when Moses was before the burning bush and he throws down his staff and it turns into a serpent. It says that God has to call Moses back because he freaks out and he, he runs. He, he, he runs. He, he, he's afraid of it. We see moments like this. We see these, these moments where people encounter angels, men and women, and it, it describes to us how they're shook like death. Yet Balaam talks to a donkey, and there's no description of his reaction other than, and he said. Balaam starts talking to his donkey here. Now, many have speculated and say, and, and, I, and I totally understand where we could go with this. I know myself and my anger. Oh, the silly, stupid things I have done in my anger. I would say here that this is not an issue of anger, but of familiarity, of current day witch doctor practices and of then, that this is someone that, that this, this interaction with an animal is not something that takes him back. It's giving us again a further indication to, to the practices of Balaam and, and who he is. Oh, and I'm sure he's quite ticked off at the moment. Balaam responds to this donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. The only thing that could possibly be worse than getting into an argument with a donkey is losing an argument to a donkey. As here's Balaam speaking to this thing and it says, have I ever done wrong to you before? No. It says, and the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside for me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, I would have surely killed you by now and let her live. As Balaam says, I wish there was a sword in my hand, I'd kill you. God says, you better think that, because I have a sword in mine. And she had not done what she'd done, you'd be the one cut in two. Balaam says, I said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. Again, the danger of familiarity, even in the presence, without recognition. Sounds good. He acknowledges that he sinned. But the error that he made was so back far is to not recognize that God's eyes are ever on us. 
all things lie naked and bare before him. How many of us have made the, the error of Balaam as if God was to show up in the midst of our secret sin to say, oh God, if I knew you were there. Ladies and gentlemen, he is always there. His eyes are always upon. He stands right beside us even in our lowest, most disobedient moments. He stands right there if only our eyes were open to it. Would we not think, God, if only you would appear before me is to know what he has already spoken to be true by his word. He is standing right there with you. My brothers and sisters, he is here with us this morning. Would we not be too familiar and recognize in whose presence we have come before? We see these three times that God spoke to Balaam. No, I don't want you to go. If they come to you, Go with him. He hasn't obeyed one or two. And then he says, only speak the words that I'll tell you. You're going to get to the end of the four uh, oracles of Balaam. And after that, again, we don't see it until Numbers 31 is to realize that Balaam doesn't stop there. That lover of the wages of unrighteousness will tell the king of Moab, I, I know how to get God to punish sin. If you can convince the men of Israel to engage in this, in your pagan worship through these sexual acts, God has to because he is consistent to his nature to discipline that. That is who this man is. He was rebellious and disobedient the first time, the second time, let's not convince ourselves he would not on the third. The greatest commentary on scripture is scripture itself. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. This is the king of Moab. And Balaam comes to, he, he comes to uh, Balak and Balak says, what's the deal? I sent the money. I sent the guys. Where have you been? What's taking so long? And Balak goes, if you, if you only, I lost an argument with my donkey. God was going to chop my head off. My foot's hurting. I'm here, okay? Get off my back. He says, now have I any power to say anything that the, uh, the word that God puts, anything, the word that God puts in my mouth, I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak and they came to uh, Kirjath Huzzah. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So Balak goes right into, again, his pagan practices of worshiping up to Baal. And so he's, he has sent the meat. He's gone into this ritual practice of, of trying to conjure up the deities that he's worshiping so that he can have the curses pronounced. And it says, so the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So as Balak takes Balaam up onto this mountain and they look upon and remember, what was it that gripped him? Balak, he said, look at the people. Look at the number of them. This is the people who defeated the giant kings and look, look down upon them. 
The book of Numbers gets kind of a bad rap because you've got these really long numbers, these censuses in the beginning and the end of it. Truth is, is that the Hebrew title for the book of Hebrews uh, was uh, the wilderness. It was about the wilderness experience. And, and that later it gets this number, the, the title numbers because of the numbers. And even then we can kind of find ourselves going, oh man, I mean, let's be honest. If you're going through your, your annual Bible reading, you start off in Genesis, you're doing good. Exodus, ooh, Francis, stop, splitting of the Red Sea. Leviticus, tough, tough, but you know what? I can, I can make it through. And just when you get on the other side of that, boom, you get hit with the census. Now, unless you're like Pastor Jeff and you love numbers, you might find yourself going, I am just going to trudge through this. It's, it's a hard spot. I want to encourage you to know that God is consistent in every word he said. And when Jesus declared that the volume of the book is about me, yes, even in the census. See, because as they look down on the people, the numbers that they would have seen, as Judah would have numbered roughly about 186,000. Reuben's line would have been about 151,000 plus. Ephraim, 108,000 plus. Dan, 157,000 plus. And, and as, as you, you read through this, you might have an image of something like this in your head. And we're going to put an image up on the screen. Just, you, you read through and you go, okay, I've, I've got it. I've, I've got the, the layout. This is the number. Look at the massive numbers. But as you go through the book of Numbers, you realize that they also tell you how they are supposed to lay themselves out in the camp around the tabernacle. And that as Balaam stands upon this mountain and looks down upon the people of God who he has declared to be blessed, this would be the layout that they would see. And for those who might have trouble seeing on the screen, to make it clear, this is what God was declaring in the book of Numbers. That as the enemy would dare to pronounce curses on God's people, God says, I have made a spectacle of them by the cross. He declared it in Genesis. He reminded us in the book of Numbers that as Balaam looks down upon this people, he sees God's victory. That is why in his oracles, Numbers 24, Balaam can't help but utter the words, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. My brothers and sisters, again, we are challenged this morning with the danger of being familiar with our God, but not recognizing who he is and in whose presence we stand today. It's to understand that even in this, the amazing faithfulness of God to his promise, that as these people who have wandered through this wilderness in discipline, that though they would grumble and complain and say they loathe the manna, that as the enemy would stand to accuse and curse, by the power of the cross, we stand blessed. That is who he is. And that's who we are. Not because of our ability to perform or our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of our God to his word. So if there's anyone here that, again, your circumstances have caused you to question the goodness of God, the goodness of of his word, then I would dare to say that in our, in our familiarity, we have failed to recognize who he is in our circumstances, who he has declared himself to be, and by his word, who by faith he has made you to be. And that by the power of the cross, he has disarmed all powers of the enemy. 
and there is a day quickly approaching what disarmament will become utter destruction because we have a God who is in the history of removing those spiritual giants of rebellion. Know that for yourself who you are today. Know that any failure on your part to adhere, to be like a Balaam and find ourselves drifting into familiarity, that if you have Christ at the center of your life as he directed his people to be, that by faith, you were defined not by your ability to perform, but by the finished, victorious work of Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. Father, we lift this up to you today. And God, I just, I, I, I myself am convicted. As we can find ourselves Sunday after Sunday going through a familiar pattern. Father, will we come before you recognizing who you are and what you did so that we could enjoy this Sunday. This Sunday to say that you are God who reigns. You are that son of man who is coming on the clouds. You are victorious. You proved it by the cross and the empty tomb and you are coming again soon. Father, we thank you again for everything that you've done in our life. Every enemy you have defeated and everything you have planned. Would we walk in your promises of who you are and who you declared us to be in your son's name amen the cover to cover series is part of no mere mortal the no mere mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of c.s lewis in the weight of glory you can find more no mere mortal content including the cover to cover series on our website at nomeremortal.org Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal. Mortal.